Well, as I said before, it would be helpful if you have your Bibles to hand, if you have them open at Jonah chapter 3, as we, we carry on our short series looking at Jonah. Just a quick recap of what we've looked at so far. Uh, in our first week, we saw God's call come to Jonah, and we saw Jonah reject it. We saw Jonah reject his commission and run, and we saw where that took him. But we also saw that God is in control, always and of everything, that God is in control. And then last week, we saw Jonah in the belly of the fish. We saw the result of his running, and we saw him recognize that salvation is from the Lord. Salvation is the Lord's, that God saves only God, and he saves who he wishes as and when he wishes. So now we come to Jonah chapter 3. God is calling Jonah again. How are things going to play out this time? Slightly controversial illustration for you. On the 10th of October, 1980, somebody who you may have heard of gave a speech at the Tory party conference, then Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher. A divisive figure, if ever there was one, but everybody was expecting her to announce a change to fiscal policy because people thought that the, the financial policy was a disaster. But instead, she stood up and she said these now very famous words, you turn if you want to. The lady's not for turning. Now that came to kind of characterize her premiership. It became a sort of mantra for her supporters. And it was seen as a huge issue to those who opposed her, her unwillingness to turn. And in the end, it may well have led to her downfall, her unwillingness to turn. Because resolution and a willingness to press on is great if you are going the right way. But when you're not, saying that you are not for turning is a dreadful, dreadful error. And turning is one of the main themes of our passage today that we're going to be looking at. The need to know when it's time to turn around. And we're going to look at the passage under three headings. We're going to see Jonah resent. We're going to see Nineveh repent. And we're going to see God relent. So first of all, Jonah resent. If you take a look at the opening verses of this passage, they, they parallel very closely the opening verses of chapter 1. There's a, it's a very close match, but there are a few small but really important differences. Now, the first and the most obvious difference, perhaps, is that this was the second time. The second time God had called Jonah. The second time God's word had called to Jonah. But even more significantly, if we look at verse 2, we see God's words to Jonah, where he says, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Proclaim to it. Because back in chapter 1, basically what God had said was preach or proclaim against it. Now in the Hebrew, these two sentences are almost identical. There is one letter of difference, one tiny little letter, but it changes the emphasis. It shifts the emphasis completely. No longer is it a command to preach against them, it's a command to preach to them. 
And it's also noticeable that in this chapter, there is no mention of the wickedness of the Ninevites, which was given back in chapter 1 as the whole reason for sending Jonah in the first place. So what's different? What has changed? Why do we have this difference? Is it the Ninevites? Have the Ninevites become less wicked in the intervening period? Well, no. They absolutely have not. Okay, so it's not that. Is it God? Has God changed? Is God no longer bothered by the wickedness of the Ninevites? Obviously not. It's clearly not going to be that, is it? So what is it then? What has happened between chapter 1 and chapter 3 to change this message, to change the tone of the message? The answer is actually quite obvious in some respects. What happens between chapter 1 and chapter 3 is chapter 2. Chapter 2, where we have Jonah's experience in the fish, where we have Jonah's realization of his state, and we have Jonah calling out on God. Because if that kind of experience doesn't change your perspective, I don't know what will, frankly. What should have changed at this point is Jonah. Jonah should be different. Jonah's life should be turned around. Is it? Well, that remains to be seen, but mild spoiler, this is not the end of the book. So God is not finished with Jonah yet. However, we do see some signs that things are going to be better this time. If you were here for us for the first part of our series, or if you've managed to catch it on YouTube, you might remember that I said there's actually two verbs in the, in the verse where God gives his command. God says, get up and go. And the same is true here. Get up and go. The difference is that in chapter 1, Jonah got up, but then he didn't go where he was sent. Whereas now God says, get up and go to Nineveh. And, well, if we look at, if we look at the two verses we have there, we literally have something which kind of says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to Nineveh. And then in verse 3, Jonah got up, went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So it's a clear mirroring of God's command, Jonah's actions. Finally, Jonah is heading in the right direction. That much has turned around. Jonah obeys the word of God, which is what you would expect from God's prophet. He gets up and he goes to Nineveh. And when he gets there, he does not waste any time sightseeing. On the first day he starts, he gets on with the job. Imagine that. Just think about it. An Israelite in Nineveh. They were enemies. They were sworn enemies. And here he is, a representative of a foreign god, strolling into Nineveh and proclaiming a message in their streets. And it's not exactly a message of love, peace, and reconciliation either, is it? If we look at verse 4 of what he says to them, he says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Well, say what you like about Jonah, but um, 
was bold, wasn't it? It was gutsy. It's not exactly what we would call a winsome appeal, is it? Or seeker-sensitive. And I suspect that an outside observer at this point wouldn't have given Jonah great odds on making it past 40 hours, never mind 40 days. We might well expect this to end very, very badly indeed for Jonah. But instead, something amazing, something absolutely remarkable happens. Nineveh repents. Look at what it says in verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. The Ninevites believed God. I think that's really interesting, don't you? Because Jonah spoke, but the Ninevites believed God. It's not Jonah's sparkling wit which has won them over. It's not his dazzling rhetoric. And I think we can safely conclude it's not the sweetness of his message either. What struck the Ninevites was not Jonah speaking, but God speaking through Jonah. Just as earlier on in the chapter, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, now it comes through Jonah. And when it comes to sharing the gospel, that's a huge reassurance because it's not us who are going to make the difference. It doesn't matter how well we speak or how charming we are. What matters is the power of God's word, even when it's given in this kind of slightly backhanded sort of way. It is God's word that is powerful. And that is what will convince people. We are called to share what God has done for us and to trust in him. And don't get me wrong, he may well use the skills and the gifts that he has given us, but they are not what makes the difference. God's word is powerful. And that is what changes hearts. That is what turns lives around. So the Ninevites believed God. Was that it? Lots of people today will say, oh yeah, yeah, I, I believe in God. Is that all it takes? Well, yes and no. We believe in salvation by faith alone. Trusting in Jesus alone. But faith is never alone. Sincere faith, sincere belief leads to change in lives. And we see that here. Because in the last three verses of this chapter, there's a Hebrew word that appears four times. You won't pick it up in the English because it's translated different ways because it's in different contexts. But it's the same word and it means to turn. To turn, to change course. Most often in the Bible, it's used for repent. Because that's what repent means, to turn around. And it is key to this chapter. The Ninevites repented of their actions, their behavior. But repentance is not just a state of mind. Real repentance shows real results in real actions. So they fasted. They put on sackcloth and ashes. That sounds weird to us, but it's a way of showing humility. These were proud people. These were an arrogant people. 
And they did this. They took this ultimate step in the face of God's message. They debased themselves to show recognition of how wrong their lives and their actions had been. And even the king, the ruler of this great city, this huge city, he got off his throne and he tore off the robes which were a symbol of his power and his authority. He tears them off and he puts on sackcloth instead. And then he sits down again, but not on his throne. He sits down in the dust. He shows humility. And he goes so far as to issue a royal proclamation, confirming that everyone is to do this, insisting that every single person in the city should follow this. And not only the people, but the livestock as well. Let's not take any chances here. And that's not all. You see, the Ninevites understand that an outward show of repentance is not enough. It's not enough just to say sorry, even in the most extreme manner, even in sackcloth and ashes and lying down in the dust. Because true repentance means turning, and that means changed behavior. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Okay, outward show. Let everyone call urgently on God. Excellent step. And let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Let them give up or repent their evil ways. Because repentance happens in our hearts, but it shows in your actions. It's not showing in your actions, it's not in your heart. To repent is to turn around, to change direction. And if we are living without God, or if we are living in ways which are counter to his will, if we are living against him, then we are on one path and we are going one way. And that is not a good direction to be going in. We need to turn around. But this isn't some self-help TED talk. I'm not just standing here saying, go out and be better people. Make the world a better place. Be the change. Because the Bible teaches us that we can't do that on our own. We can't change our own hearts. But if we call out to God, if we call out through Jesus, he can. And if we do that, we should expect to see changes in our lives. As our hearts are turned, as our lives are turned, we should expect to see that change in our lives. And that doesn't mean we won't fall down. It doesn't mean we won't mess up because we will. We absolutely will. But it does mean that every time that that happens, we repent all over again and we go back to God and we ask him to keep helping us to keep repenting. It is an ongoing thing, not a one-off that we do and then forget about. We need to be constantly turning around and turning back to him. And he will help us with that. So the Ninevites repented. That's amazing. Especially when you contrast it with what we read at the beginning of the chapter. Because there we've got Jonah, God's prophet, and God had to come to him twice. And in between that, he had to put him through some experience before Jonah obeyed. Jonah, a prophet of God. And then we have the Ninevites. And they hear the word of God 
And they repent right away. Now the Ninevites would have known way less about God than Jonah did. They didn't have anywhere near his knowledge. They didn't have the same level of understanding that he had. And they certainly wouldn't have got any deep theological insights from Jonah's preaching to them. They didn't even know the name of the Lord. Jonah did. The Ninevites didn't. They just called on God. They didn't know much, but they knew enough not to hang around. They knew enough that they needed to turn. And in order to repent, that is all you need. Jesus made that point during his ministry. When he was on earth, in Matthew chapter 12, you can read how some of the Pharisees, some of the teachers of the law, the experts, the people who knew religion, they asked Jesus for a sign. And in verse 39 of Matthew chapter 12, he answers them and he says, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Listen to this bit. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented of the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up and pass judgment on the Pharisees, on the scribes, on the priests, on the religious experts, people who thought they were living according to God's law and went to great pains to try and make sure other people did. Why? Because the men of Nineveh recognized that Jonah was bringing them God's word and these men now had Jesus standing in front of them, greater than Jonah by orders of magnitude. And what do they do? They turn away. They rejected Jesus as he stood in front of them. Now Jonah, Jonah was sent by God. Jesus is God. Jonah brought God's word. Jesus is the word of God made flesh. Which leaves us with a fairly obvious question, I think. What about you? Will the men of Nineveh stand up and pronounce judgment on you? Because what Jesus is offering us now, what Jesus is offering you today, is far greater than Jonah's message. Jonah brought warning of a coming judgment. Jesus brings the offer of eternal life with him. How much greater what will you do with that offer? What are you doing with that offer? Are you turning around and running to him or are you turning your back and running away? The Ninevites didn't start a 12-step program. They didn't engage in a study series first. They didn't say, okay, we need to get this right. We need to make sure we know what we're doing. They called on God. That's it. And if you're hearing God calling on you right now, maybe it's for the first time, maybe it isn't. Maybe you've even responded before. But if you are hearing God calling on you to turn, don't waste time. If you are recognizing his authority and your need for his grace, 
But why call on God? What did the Ninevites hope to achieve? What is the ultimate result of repentance? What were they looking for? Well, we can read what they hope to achieve in verse 9 of our passage. Look at what it says there. It says, Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. That brings us to our third and final heading. God relents. Does he? Does God change his mind? We've seen some changes in Jonah, and we've seen some pretty massive changes in Nineveh. But what about God? Isn't God unchangeable? So why then do we read in verse 10, but when God saw what they had done and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion, or he relented, and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. What's going on here? Is God backing down? Did he change his mind? Oh, there's a few things happening here. First off, throughout God's word, he has made it clear that he is a God of judgment, but he is also a God of mercy. The point of his prophecies, the point of his prophets is to turn the people around, to get them to stop what they are doing. And if you look at the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 18, God says, If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. This doesn't mean that God changes his mind. He already knows who is going to respond and how they're going to respond. He's not caught by surprise and he isn't reacting. This is his plan all along. Now it's hard for us to get our heads around that where human free will and divine omnipotence meet. It's just a little too hard for us to understand sometimes, but we know it to be true. There's also some really nice poetic symmetry here because the word for the evil of the Ninevites and the destruction from God, again, guys, guess what? Same word. Bad things from a moral perspective or in terms of a destruction. So what happens is the Ninevites turn around from their evil and so God turns away the destruction that it would bring. But there's one more thing. If we look at Jonah's message in verse 4 where it says... 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Sometimes that's translated as destroyed or overthrown. All of those catch some of the nuance. Sometimes it can mean absolute, complete and total destruction. And that certainly doesn't come to pass within the 40 days. But it can also mean a shocking and absolute transformation. And is that not exactly what happened? Nineveh, had they continued in their ways, would have been overturned, destroyed. Instead, the word of God overturns them in transformation. And once again, that is relevant to us because that is what faces us. That is the choice where we are. We can carry on doing our own thing and we can face the consequences. 
or we can hear God's word and be turned around and be transformed. Either way, where God's word comes, overthrow follows. Sometimes God's will is hard for us to grasp and it's hard for us to understand who he brings to repentance, who he chooses to save and how he chooses to do it. Because the thing is, a few decades on from this, the Assyrian Empire, of which Nineveh was a major part, would wipe out the kingdom of Israel, Jonah's home. Now that seems odd to us that God would allow that to happen, but it was part of his plan. It was part of the great divine plan which led to Jesus dying on a cross for us. Because God doesn't always work the way we think he should. And we need to remember that sometimes when it's time for us to turn around. That once again, we see God in complete control, just as we did in, verse, in, in chapter 1. And once again, just as we did in chapter 2, we see that salvation is the Lord's. And he grants it where he wishes, not where we think it should go. But now we're also seeing this need for repentance. They need to turn around with a genuine repentance which brings changed lives. Because Jesus is the one who is greater than Jonah. And he is calling on you. He is calling on all of us to repent. To turn to him. How are you responding to that? Are you going to be like the Pharisees and the religious leaders? Are you going to turn away from Jesus? And one day, the men and women of Nineveh will be able to stand in judgment over you? Or will you be like the Ninevites, who heard the word of God, who heard what he had to say and repented? Will you turn to him? Will you turn to Jesus? Or are you turning away from him? That's the question. Where will you turn? Turn.